Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, good morning. And what could be more irritable than an irritable baby that just cries and cries and you do not know what is going on? Faye, have you had that experience ever? <laughs> I'm trying to think, Abel. My baby's just turned one yesterday. And yes, I do know what that feels like. <laughs> I have think you it's one of the- that? I mean, do you even remember those days? Uh, I, I thank God my memory has waned. It has waned, but it's rudely awakened when I hear one of my grandchildren or I get an exasperated call from one of my daughters or daughter-in-law with a kid that they actually do not know what to do with. I think it's it's pretty challenging to keep your, your head straight on your shoulders and try to think what it is that you could do other than maybe throw the baby at the husband or just say, I'm going out for a little while. <laughs> or become I think the beauty is also to try and figure out what the root cause is. I think that's what we keep on discussing. What is the actual root cause? Right. So today we are going to have a fantastic show. We have the one and only Dr. Castle that is going to be on our show. Um, he is a venerated and very, very well-known pediatrician for many, many, many years in the community. And we are going to try to figure that out. I've just got to actually give a shout-out to Dr. Castle before he comes um, on online that just a week ago, my daughter called me frantically at 9.30 at night. She says, my kid's not breathing. He's sounding like a dog. I said, wait. And I went on to the High FM podcast Went to respiratory things, read it. I said, he's got croup. Go stick him in the bath. And she says, no, 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 I need to start. I said, no, he hasn't got bronchitis. He hasn't got bronchiolitis. And I actually sent it the podcast. I said, listen to it in the bathroom while you're heating him up. You'll see he'll get better. And um, yes, he did. He just had simple croup. And the most important thing that Dr. Castle did say was just keep your head straight, you know. <laughs> Remain calm. <laughs> So I'm surprised that you got to listen to the whole podcast instead of having to call him in a panic. I usually just message or call in a panic. <laughs> exactly. It's actually called me in a panic, but it was just nice to have that resource. So this is this show is for you, whether you are a parent, whether you are a Boba or Zayda or anybody who is dealing with a fretful child. It's so good to be armed with information and really down-to-earth information, not trying to get hysterical with absolutely everything that happens with our kids. So please stay tuned if you'd like to join the conversation. It's 34519 and our telegram number 061-895-1019. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. A big good morning to Dr. Castle. How are you? Morning, thanks, Idol. I'm fine, thanks. And morning, Fagy. The pleasure to be on with you good this morning. Good morning, Dr. Castle. Thank you. Thank you for always giving up your valuable time. It is always a pleasure. Right, let's talk about the irritable baby, or maybe should we talk about the irritable mom who doesn't know what to do with the irritable baby? Well, just by way of a short introduction, the irritable baby has been around with us ever since Adam and Eve, and will no doubt be around with us for many centuries to come. Things like COVID and the panic of engulfing the world at the moment will come and pass. They definitely will. The irritable baby won't pass. Hence the show this morning. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And when, just to introduce the subject and why I chose the subject was because it's, it's it, if I go back about 60 years in practice, the commonest problem I've ever dealt with in my rooms was a mother who brings her baby into the rooms in the first two years of life and says, Dr. Castle, I'm desperate. I don't know why this baby is crying. It has had all the feed changes in the world. It has had all the colic medicines in the world. It has had all the reflux medicines in the world, and it is still crying. Why, doctor? It's, it's disturbing our marriage. It's disturbing our other children. We can't live in the home anymore. Well, that, that I think is a far more important problem than the panic that we're facing at the moment. It's all going to pass. <laughs> First of all, you have to understand that the irritable child embraces many different organ systems in the body. It first of all embraces the urinary tract. And I'm deliberately starting with this because it's the most commonly misdiagnosis. It embraces the urinary tract because nobody ever places emphasis on the urinary tract. And congenital anomalies in the urinary system leading to recurrent infections are a very, very important cause of irritability in a baby. Just to drive this point home to me was a call I got from Israel 10 days ago. From a rabbi's grand, uh, from a rabbi's son-in-law of a child who had gone through 11 years of suffering. Nobody had ever bothered to investigate the urinary tract and what did this child have? It had a urethral system that's being operated on, uh, in two weeks time, in a week's time. Now in a great country like Israel with all its professional expertise, Nobody had yet thought of investigating the urinary tract for an 11-year-old who was irritable. And the stories are numerous of this happening. So therefore, this is our main subject today. Other abnormalities that can cause irritability are obviously abnormalities of the auditory system and resultant ear infections. And finally, the one that everybody focuses on today, which is quite wrong to focus on this, abnormalities of the digestive system, change the feed, change to Novolac Amino, change to this, change to that, nothing helps. Use this colic medicine, use that colic medicine. Despite the, the fact that, uh, and I, perhaps I shouldn't say it, but one of the recent medical congresses, they described colic as a diagnosis of the intellectually destitute because such a <laughs> Such a thing doesn't exist in real terms. The real reason why a baby cries is probably reflux, not colic. But anyway, they happily go on with their colic medicines and their feed changes and get nowhere. And the mother gets more and more desperate. So let's focus on the urinary tract. And with your permission, both of you, I will follow it with the auditory system and with the digestive system so that we can understand. As with all my previous presentations, I'd like you to have a visual representation of what we're going to talk about. There are two kidneys in the body in which urine gets formed. This urine then passes into two tubes leading from the kidney called the ureters. The ureters then conduct the urine into the bladder 
through two very important valves, the ureteric valves. And from the bladder, the urine passes through the bladder neck into the urethra and from so to the outside through the urethral meatus. There's one important difference here in a male and a female. The urethra in a male is long. The urethra in a female is short. And therefore, the tendency to misdiagnose urinary tract infections in a female is very, very common. Urinary tract infection and urinary tract abnormalities are a minefield. They are overdiagnosed and they're undiagnosed. They're overdiagnosed. You'll see presently when I discuss the diagnosis. They're underdiagnosed when you will see at the end. When considering abnormalities of the urinary drainage system, there are three important factors that we need to consider. Most of the abnormalities of the urinary drainage system are abnormalities which are congenital. You're born with them. They are membranes. You needn't worry about the terminology. It's too technical. They are stenoses of the tubes, they are stenoses of the meatus, they are narrowing of the tubes, incompetent valvular systems. They are always congenital in nature and really always correctable and never life-threatening. But if allowed to go on long enough, as this case in Israel demonstrates, they will eventually cause very, very severe problems and even threaten one's life later on. Another factor to consider when you're dealing with urinary tract infection and urinary tract abnormality is that stasis is the basis of infection. In the same way as when you get a thunderstorm and it rains and you get puddles of water afterwards and those puddles of water get visited by flies and various insects, so too in the urinary system when you get a partial obstruction to the free flow of urine, the urine will subsequently become infected. And this is the first clue that you're dealing with the problem. The current urinary infection... You're listening to Dr. Castle. We're talking about the irritable baby and we're discussing specifically infections and problems with the urinary tract. If you'd like to join us, it's 34519. Or you can uh, telegram us on 061-895-1019. The doctor's here to ask your questions. We'll be back shortly. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're in conversation with Dr. Kassel, and we're talking about the irritable baby. If you're one of the unfortunate ones, but it seems like you're about 100% of the population, Um, This show is for you. Doctor, you were telling us about urinary tract infections. Yes. Now, to go on, as we've mentioned, most of the urinary tract abnormalities that occur are actually congenital abnormalities. They are not chromosomal defects. They are abnormalities that occur at a certain stage of the pregnancy usually the 18th to the 24th weeks by various factors that may influence the pregnancy at that stage. And and owing to the fact that the urinary tract and the ears, the auditory system, 
develop at the same time in utero, Hashem has given us a perfect clue as to how to spot urinary or be aware of urinary tract abnormalities. The moment you see any imperfections in the ear, and I, I won't go into them in detail, but the moment you see something wrong with those ears, remember that your urinary system could have the same thing wrong with it. It develops at the same time embryologically. And the important thing to realize from that is don't go into a panic because you've all of a sudden delivered a baby that has two little pieces of flesh in front of its earlobes. These two little pieces of flesh are called accessory pinny. They are pointers to a urinary tract abnormality in 5 to 10% of cases. And in the neonatal examination of the baby, when you actually ask your pediatrician to examine your baby, this is a very important finding. The urine should be immediately checked and should be, go on being checked because it's, there's a, good, a strong likelihood that there will be a problem either immediately or later on. Oh, wow. That's actually very, very interesting. Can you just explain... Exactly where is this extra extra flaps in, in, in the in, front? It's in front of the earlobe. The, the earlobe is the, uh, uh, or let's say in front of the ear cavity. The ear cavity allows uh, sound to go into the ear. And just in front of that flap of skin on the face, you get this accessory pinna. And Very I'm interesting. Sure, I'm sure many of the listeners have seen this in their own babies, because it's quite a common occurrence. And uh, you should always watch out for a problem. If someone saw that in their baby and they do have a fussing child later on, let's say the child, as you say, is 11 years old now, and they have been fussing, is it something that they should be looking into? Of course. There's never too late to be alert to a urinary problem. We've had cases which have got through into adolescence and adulthood because when this recurrent infection occurs, and I'm just digressing for a moment to explain it, you can't have recurrent infection lying around in your urinary drainage system. And it eventually causes back pressure on the kidneys, back infection on the kidneys. And very often, not very often, but sometimes, adults end up 15, 20 years old, all of a sudden with septic kidneys, chronic pyelonephritis, hydronephrosis, water kidneys, all sorts of things that can be dated back to misdiagnoses at birth. So always be aware of it. These things don't come from out of the blue. They're part of the developmental process. And when we talk about auditory problems, the same thing applies. Why do, just to digress for a moment, why does a child get auditory problems? Narrow eustachian tubes, incompletely formed septa, the same as happens in the urinary tract, makes the child more susceptible to ear infections. So don't just lop off the ear infections either when we come to it. These are very important things. And above all, to emphasize it again and again, when you have an irritable child, for heaven's sake, put away the colic medicines and put away those changes of the feeds. They won't help. 
set about determining why the child is irritable. And the urinary tract which we're talking about today is a minefield of misdiagnosis. And that's why we Just the questions come in from a listener. What happens if you get a baby that just fusses between a specific time? In this case, the listener saying, my baby fusses between 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock at night. That's the time that, you know, um, he or she is most irritable. What is that all about? Well, that's probably related to reflux because if it's at that time of the day and the baby lies flat on its back or gets put down to sleep, it is going to start refluxing and it's going to start fussing. It's got nothing to do with colic. It's spillage of gastric contents. The same as adults experience. You have a big meal for supper and you get yourself into bed within five minutes. You'll also break winds and you'll also start fussing usually at that time of the night. So the, the golden rule, I believe, for babies, and it, it doesn't matter if we digress a bit over here because it's, it's good to answer people's questions. You can see they're starting to warm to the talk <laughs> because all of them are experiencing these problems that they've been through before. A good golden rule with that sort of baby is to keep the baby in an upright position or a semi-upright position, if possible, for 24 hours out of 24. During the daytime, via a kango pouch, or what the African women have done, wrap the baby up on their backs. Why do you think they've done that? Why do you think the kangaroo did that? Because it cures reflux. That's why. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with colic. Dr. Kassel, to go back to the urinary tract infections, I found it so fascinating that it's something that's just, it it seems like it's so unknown. Like as a mother, I've personally never heard of of that being an issue with a fussing child. Is it something that's very undiagnosed? It's it's terribly missed because people don't concentrate. And I'm telling you the reasons why this is done, because when you get a fussing child, the psyche in Johannesburg at the moment seems to be used uh, use about 20 different formulas to keep changing the formula and uh, implying that it's due to a digestive disturbance. It's got nothing to do with it. So you can use all the NANs and the isomals and the impasoids and the Novak aminos and whatever you like and pay 80 or 100 grand a tin in the end, but you will get nowhere. You'll get absolutely no. Well, then also ENTs should be diagnosing this urinary tract infections if they see that children are constantly getting ear infections. Of course. It's the first thing that you should do is you should examine a urine properly as we're coming to. Go ahead. See, uh, just to digress again for a moment, very important Jewish problems are the circumcision problem and the bedwetting problem. Which I, which I think will be pertinent to mention at this stage. Now, as far as the circumcision problem is concerned, it's not a problem. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not talking against circumcisions like these other lunatics. Uh, I'm very much in favor of the bris meter, but even the most well done bris can cause scarring at the end of the urethral meatus. It can cause a scar to form over there. And I've seen many cases in my practice that have gone on screaming and screaming and screaming with nobody helping the poor child. 
The clue to that is hesitancy of urine passing. Always ask the mother, when the child screams, does it scream before it passes the urine and then does it stop screaming the moment it passes the urine? And her answer will be yes. And very often when it passes the urine, it shoots out a lot of urine, stops, and then shoots out another lot of urine because it's trying to get past the meatal scar. Now, you know what the treatment of that is? It's a simple catheter or probe to dilate the meatus and no more screaming child. Oh. And there, there are many Jewish women that have been relieved of this agony by having that simple process done. That's Very that. interesting. Wow. The other interesting factor is bedwetting. You see, bedwetting... Is, 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 has been, you know, whenever you attribute things to psychology, it's a dangerous route to go. You know, you know, the child's with sugar, it's disturbed, it's stressed, it's all sorts of things, but it's nothing of the sort. A lot of children that are bedwetters have small bladder syndromes. The bladder is too small, and when the bladder distends, Normally, in a normal person, you know you want to go to the toilet, you know you want to pass urine, and you go and pass urine. But very often, a child who is busy, a child who goes to nursery school, a child who is, is busy doing other things, ignores the initial sensation to want to go to the toilet. So the bladder over-distends, and when the bladder over-distends, he loses that sensation. And he doesn't know anymore that he wants to go to the toilet. So you've got to re-educate his bladder. You've got to try and get him to wee frequently, even though he doesn't want to wee. And you've got to try and limit his fluids. And in that way, you will cure his enuresis, his bedwetting. You won't cure it by giving him drugs, psychotropic drugs. You won't cure it by giving him things to tighten his bladder neck. You'll make it even more difficult for him. And a lot of these medicines that are used for enuresis have serious effects on the blood sugar and can send them into hypoglycemic coma. So don't go that route. Go the simple route. It's a small bladder syndrome. And you'll get many of your listeners that will be delighted to hear that bit of information. So, can we talk around? Can we talk around urinary tract infections? Like, is the only way to diagnose that is that the child has a high temperature and they're not presenting with anything in their nose, throat? They're not coughing, you know, and they're just they're just running a high temperature. Should one always go and check check, uh, you know, for a urinary tract infection? Well, we've said the first part. We've said the anatomical features that point towards it. They're, there are also other features. The one is when a baby gets recurrent infections and you don't know about it, the first thing that happens is that the baby fails to thrive. It fails to feed properly. So when you go to the clinic and the clinic sister tells you your baby hasn't put on weight today, it hasn't put on weight for the last three weeks, what is wrong? Oh, it's probably the food. It's probably lactose intolerance change the food to nobilacamina, rather change the urine, test the urine. That's the first thing. Failure to thrive, flattening of the weight curve, 
intermittent and severe irritability, irritability mainly with the passing of urine and often hesitancy with the passing of urine. The baby can scream the place down and eventually get the urine out and then it stops screaming. It has a very definite pattern, the urinary presentation of urinary tract obstruction or urinary tract infection. Remember that the two are closely linked. The obstructions, fortunately, are not total obstructions, otherwise you would diagnose them. They are partial obstructions. The baby eventually gets the urine past these membranes, past these diverticula, past these obstructions, but he doesn't do it without a, without a price. In the same way as when a person, an adult, passes a stone, he goes through agony. The child also, passing urine through these obstructions, goes through a lot of pain. And he tells you that by crying, crying endlessly. So please take notice of the crying child. He's not naughty, he's not spoiled. He needs to have his urinary system properly investigated. And this is the second part of our talk. The first and most... Just, sorry, doctor, before we just go on, we've just got another comment from a listener who says food allergies can also be a cause of bedwetting. Your opinion? I've not heard of it, but anyway. <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't dispute the opinion, but uh, I know di diabetes can be where sugars rise in the urine. Very often the first sign of diabetes, particularly an adult, is the adult who gets up at night to wee five or six times. It can be a sign of prostate uh, problems in an adult. In a child, I'm not sure that bedwetting is related to any of those things. Uh, and food allergy w would present in, in, in a far more widespread type of way. It would present with, uh, uh, with rashes, very often failure to thrive, uh, loose stools, and many other signs that would point to it rather than bedwetting. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, so it's so the next part of your presentation. The next part is the most important part. And let me start it by saying the way I've concluded it, and I'm going to conclude it with there's the lots that you can do in pediatric medicine, but there is nothing that you can undo. Urinary tract abnormalities and urinary tract infection is just such a minefield. If you don't treat the things seriously, you can end up harming the child for a long, long period of his life. If you do treat it too seriously, you can use, you can cause severe trauma to the child. So both ways, there is a minefield with urinary tract abnormalities. Just to, well, first I'll discuss the, the, the basic things that we do to diagnose a urinary tract infection. Obviously, the thing to do is to analyze the urine, but this is where the greatest problem comes in. You know, you've got all sorts of nonsense that goes on, like taking pieces of cotton wool and putting it in a baby's napkin, letting the baby wee into the cotton wool with all the feces and the vaginal secretions there, then squeezing the cotton wool, sending it off to the laboratory, and lo and behold, the doctor phones to tell the mother, your child's got 100,000 pus cells, it's got a urinary tract infection. It's uh, in the old term we use, bobomyces. It's <laughs> nonsense. 
absolute nonsense. But you can't test urine like that. You've got to be sure that the urine is sterile. Now, in a male, that is far easier, and in a male over two years, that is definitely easier, because the male urethra is longer than the female urethra. In a female, at all times of life, it is difficult to know, because if you don't get rid of the vaginal secretions and you just take a urine and stick a piece of dipsticks in it and tell, them, uh, and tell the poor woman that she's got a urinary tract infection, nothing could be further from the truth. So just beware of that as well. I'm not going to talk specifically about the older child because the older child passes this first specimen, that's the child over two years, which is discarded. After a bath or shower in the morning and proper cleaning of his penis or vaginal area, the child must then pass a second specimen known as a catch specimen. A catch specimen means that you catch the urine while the child is passing it. Not from a mug, not from a potty, not from a receptacle. You catch it in the air and then put it into a sterile bottle and send it immediately to the laboratory. This is the way you avoid contamination. Now, in a child under the age of two years, this is often easier said than done. Because you've got a, a minefield of contaminations which will mislead you completely. First of all, in the child under two years of age, in both male and female, sterile urine bags should be used. But before the sterile urine bag is ever applied, the perineal area, the penis, the vulva, uh, the areas around the vagina, the anus, the anal secretion should all be carefully sterilized, carefully with, with, with a sterilizing solution. And that solution should be allowed to dry. And then the bag should be stuck on embracing the urethra, avoiding the anus completely. You cannot avoid the vaginal area, but you will have made very sure that any vaginal secretions will have been mopped up in the sterilization. And in this way, you collect a sterile urine. That is what is meant by a sterile urine, not by blobs of cotton wool lying around in a napkin and some nurse coming and squeezing the damn thing. <laughs> We're talking to Dr. Cussell and uh, a listener, Jonathan, said, Dr. Cussell is a genius. I hope to hear him more often on High FM. Well, this is the place where you we are in conversation with Dr. Cussell, and we love that you join our conversation. 34519 is our SMS number. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. As you know, credible news is an integral part of HiFM's mission to keep you updated and informed. HiFM's news reader search has begun and we are inviting you to get involved. If you think you have what it takes to become a HiFM news reader, get in touch with us. You can please email elise at highfm.com. Remember to include your contact numbers. That's E-L-I-S-E at highfm.com. This is 101.9 highfm, 101.9 megahertz of life. And this is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. 
we're talking everything to do with the urinary tract. It looks like we're not even going to get onto second base, which means we're going to have Dr. Cussell back again and again. Dr. Cussell, somebody just uh, SMSed in. Can you speak a little bit more about the catheter for the baby? Because that, that was really, really interesting and piqued, piqued you know, interest, something that I've never heard of. All right. There you go. Catheter for the baby is it, it simply, it should be done by a professional, obviously not uh, a person that's not adept at dealing with babies, a professional urologist, because it can be a difficult thing to do, but it's mainly done with this scarring of the meatus of the urethra in a male infant. That The infant keeps crying and has hesitancy of urine. In that case, an ordinary simple passage of a catheter will break down the adhesion of the meatus and cure the child. When I say cure, sometimes it requires two or three dilatations to completely remove the scar. But the mother will be so relieved, she'll bring you gifts to the rooms, <laughs> to do all sorts of things, uh, to say thank you. It's, uh, it must be a huge relief. I, I mean, I can imagine with a mother who's completely just losing it because they're not sure what's happening with their baby. Mine yeah. was diagnosed and fixed. I mean, this child probably just has a huge relief. A huge relief is correct. And when, uh, let, let, let me get on and try and finish. We can always have another program on, uh, on the questions. Uh, so in the urine analysis, what tells you that the urine is positive? First of all, the bacteria that infect the urine are very specific. They are Bacillus proteus and E. coli. Those are the two bacteria. And if you start getting other bacteria reported by the laboratory, you can be reasonably certain you've contaminated the specimen. See, Staph aureus, Streptococcus, Streptococcus comes from the throat. It's unlikely that you're likely to get a throat germ in the urine. And so there are many pitfalls in this sort of thing. Make sure that your culture that they grow is the culture of Bacillus proteus or E. coli before they put the child onto treatment. The other pointer is the amount of pus cells in the urine. Normally there should be less than four. There should be no pus cells in the urine. In a urinary tract infection, you get between 10 and 100,000 pus cells. And that's the second factor that tells you that you've got a urinary tract infection. But we never rely on that because there's too, too much of a minefield, too much possibility of contamination. So we always take a second confirmatory specimen within 24 or 48 hours in the same way so that we can confirm it. And if we get two confirmatory specimens, we then treat. See? Now, in the male... Because of the long urethra, it is very unlikely that you will get contamination. So if you get one proven infection and then another proven infection in a male, you would then investigate fully. In a female, you're a little more reluctant. In the female infant, one would really say two proven treated infections 
the third infection, definitely investigate. So with a female, you're definitely more lenient. But investigate, don't leave it if you have proven infections. That's the first route towards the diagnosis. The second route towards the diagnosis is to do an abdominal sonar with particularly re- particular reference to the urinary tract. Now, that is a simple procedure. It is simply placing a camera over the tummy and trying to pick up these little defects, like the membranes obstructing the tubes, the valvular abnormalities that is allowing reflux. But unfortunately, it's not a very confirmatory diagnosis. It only picks up the more gross abnormalities in 30% of cases. So if you're certain of your case, and you're certain that the urine is, is positive, you then go on to your third investigation. The third investigation is called the scope or the catheter. It's more than a catheter because it's a little tube that has a light attached to it. And a professional urologist then inserts this little light into the urethra, goes up to the bladder neck, has a good look at the bladder neck, goes into the bladder, has a good look at the urethral valves, and even goes up the urethra, uh, ureter, towards the kidney to tell you exactly what the position is in the urinary tract. And this is so important because it picks up the early cases, the grades of reflux, those that need surgery, those that don't need surgery. Not not the mother's problem. She's not worried about this. She's worried about why her child is screaming. But in many cases, in I would say in over 90% of cases, perhaps closer to 100%, the urinary problems that we've mentioned are corrected simply by the scope because you break down the meatus scarring. You then distend the bladder neck, which may be bladder neck stenosis that the child is born with. You correct the membranes lying around in the urethra and the ureters. So you break all those things down, and before you know what's happened, you've cured the child simply by your scope. 70% of cases. But remember that the scope can be a very traumatic procedure. Certainly for the older child, it's difficult to get them to cooperate. For the younger child, it's even more difficult, and you often have to anesthetize them. And uh, passing the catheter has to be done by by a professional, not somebody who's ham-handed and is not going to be able to do the thing properly. You're listening to 101.9 High FM, and we're talking to Dr. Cussell. We've got a couple of minutes left, but we're just going to go for a quick break, and we'll be back. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Dr. Cussell, it seems that we've really, really touched on a very, very big topic. Um, we've had a lot of feedback. <laughs> one, one listener would like to know, do you do adults? So maybe you can start a new profession now. <laughs> can graduate from a pediatrician to a, I don't know. <laughs> I think it does deal with adults, Adol. We're just not aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap up, doctor. Uh, you got maybe a minute or two. What is your final message to our listeners with urinary tract 
And, My final and message is that Dr. Kussel is not a genius. <laughs> <laughs> the genius is actually Hashem. Because Hashem has given you all the tools, all the signs and symptoms to be able to diagnose. And whenever anybody has said to me, Dr. Kussel, why have you done pediatrics? Babies don't talk, they keep quiet, they, they confuse you. My answer to them always is, babies don't lie. They don't confuse you. They don't bamboozle you. You see it as it is. And provided you take the message that the Shem has given you, you won't make mistakes. That's my final. Well, what, thank you. What we can say, perhaps, Dr. Kussel, if you're not wanting to take on, uh, you know, the compliment of a genius, you're indeed wise. And uh, we really, really thank you for your wisdom and for the most, you know, brilliant show in giving us an, an understanding of our, of how our human body works. And really, that is the thrust of healthy you, wealthy you. Faggy and I want to bring to you the understanding that Hashem has created your body. God has created your body. It is a genius in and of itself, and it is able uh, to heal itself if you've got the right information. So thank you, everybody, for joining in the conversation. Thank you, Dr. Kassel, again, for your invaluable time. We really appreciate it. We look forward to continuing Chapter 2 of The Irritable Baby. And, of course, thank you to my partner in crime. Thank you. As always, thank you for, my pleasure. For thank you so much. Well. Thank you, Dr. Everybody, Kassel. have a wonderful day ahead. Thank, thank you. you. You too.